0: Shem Hashem naseven atzliach shiur Torah b'chayim We're back here on our Wednesday night uh, program of Stump the Rabbi. We're after a, a few divrei Torah. be'zot uh, Hashem, you guys will ask some questions. Kadosh bechub, Hashem will give us the answers. Um, and uh, first and foremost, Cholish uh, tov, Rosh Cholish to everybody. Uh, when a uh, doubt comes in, we have to be besimcha. But uh what Simcha is there without Torah. Uh so of course Boh Hashem will uh learn a little bit, try to uh, toil in it and uh enjoy the uh the wisdom of the Torah. Uh tonight's show will be for um Shmat Schmat Sara Leah uh, Bat Aryeh Hershel Chaim and also for for Lema for Chaim Itzhak ben Rachel. Rabinit uh, Levana Bat Sara, Rabbi Ephraim Ben Shalmit, Rabinit Sara Bat Anat, Avi Mori, David Ben Asria, Yimmy Morati, Doris Bat Zora. and also for a atslacha uh, for Marsha Bat Julie, Ayla Bat Marsha, Samuel Ben Marsha, Sefas Ben Marsha, Alexander Ben Marsha, Louis Ben Marsha, Shaul Ben Farzane and all of am yisrael and all the righteous noah a will have a uh and all of the so uh for uh, any of you that are um following us closely where you're on our whatsapp or our facebook or any one of the groups uh today uh, you got a uh, message that we started our uh, pulim campaign uh, this campaign is only a couple of weeks uh, before pulim starts uh, but boch Hashem, uh, we already started sending money to Eretz Israel uh, to make sure that, there is, uh, that the families that are uh, in dire need are going to have uh, food to eat uh, for Purim and celebrate it uh, in no less uh, dignity than uh, what we do, uh, Bezod Hashem. So uh, we have a, uh, uh, about 60 families or so, uh, give or take uh, 500 or so people uh, that already are uh, getting a uh, you know some money uh, but we have Bo thousands of others that uh, need your help uh, the the beauty of pulim is that it's one of those holidays that both uh, secular and frum jews celebrate alike but uh, uh, really the truth behind it is that uh, while some people celebrate Purim to uh, you know drinking and use, using it as an excuse to drink like crazy people, and to uh, pretend they're somebody else by wearing different costumes, uh, which it's perfectly fine if you're wearing a costume as long as it's modest. But if, you're, if your uh, costume is not modest, then it's very, very problematic. Also, for those guys that, uh, for whatever reason or another, decide to dress like girls uh, as a costume, it's, uh, it's not a smart thing to do. Um, but uh, either way, there's a, the holiday of Pulliam is a beautiful holiday, and uh i wrote an article uh several years ago and it's actually uh included in my sephil which uh which one day will be in english as well um this uh this pulim is one of the last remaining uh uh i guess uh, uh things that a person has to keep him connected to judaism where uh, unlike Many of the other holidays, whether it be Yom Kippur or Shoshana, uh, Pesach, uh, unfortunately, in a uh, in, in the world that we live in today, where uh, atheism, secularism, missionary activity, where you know, unfortunately, people are adopting idolatry uh, instead of uh, you know uh, learning about uh, the truth of the Torah. Uh, what ended up happening is that a lot of people are very disconnected and uh, get to a point where they don't celebrate Purim, they don't celebrate Pesach, they, they don't celebrate uh, Yom Kippur, they don't celebrate a lot of things, uh, but Baruch Hashem, Purim is one of those and Hanukkah is the same, are some of those holidays that have a lot of bracha where everybody wants to, uh, to be a part of it, it's, uh, you're not really going to get much of a fight from somebody, if you tell them, listen, why don't you come over to our house and celebrate pooling with us, you'll have cookies, you'll have cakes, you have food, you have have uh, costumes, you'll have a uh, lot of uh, wonderful things. Very few people are going to say no. Uh, if you ask them to come for Leila Sedel you know, some people are going to say, I'm not interested if they're not affiliated with, you know, being religious. Uh, if you tell them, listen, come to the Bikneset and fast with us, pray with us, and Yom Kippur or Tisha B'Av. Uh, not everybody's going to jump on that bandwagon. But pulim is one of those things where it's a fantastic Cube opportunity where you can get a lot of people to come and uh, and, and actually uh, learn the truth. The problem is that uh, many times people uh, have events that bring a lot of unaffiliated Jews to the Bet Knesset, to the community, uh, but that opportunity is not taking advantage of where instead of having it as an opportunity where you're gonna teach them the truth of the Torah, you're gonna to teach them that it was the, uh, uh, the religious Jews that saved Am Yisrael during a, uh, uh, throughout all of the times, whether it be uh, uh, the religious Jews, the Maccabees of, uh, of Hanukkah, or it was the Tzadikim that fasted for three days uh, during Purim and uh, Mordechai, the, the biggest Haridi in the world that the uh, uh, Ben Chai says he's the first person in the entire Tanakh that's called Yehudi, Mordechai Yehudi, why is Mordechai called Mordechai Yehudi, it's the first time in the Tanakh that the word Yehudi, Jew, appears about Mordechai, so the Ben says the reason why is because Mordechai had pairs, had pairs that were very very long and very very big, where you could identify that's a Jew from very far away, and it's a beautiful thing that uh, a person is proud of his judaism and uh you have an opportunity to uh to get people closer to Akados both by showing them that the only thing that makes a jew is a jew is by their affiliation with the torah their uh, uh engravement of the torah and its values into their life and it's a fantastic opportunity but unfortunately today when uh, people are uh, either idolizing a person or idolizing money or other things uh, not, uh, you know, not, it's not often that these opportunities are truly taken advantage of. And it's important for us to know that uh, it's not just a uh, opportunity to, uh, uh, to, you know, to, to serve Hashem on our own, but it's also an opportunity to bring others, to bring others as well. Now, of course, one of the things about pulim that's unique is that pulim is supposed to uh, create unity. And one of the ways that the, uh, that the sages instituted to create unity is these three different mitzvot that you have? You have the machatzit shekel, matanot mishloach manot. These are three different mitzvot that a person needs to do in order to truly fulfill the obligations of Purim. In addition to listening to the Megillah. Now, of course, a uh, the, uh, the the key is to make sure that you do these mitzvot the right way. You know, sometimes people give a mishloach manot that's full of candy and uh, nothing else. And they may have spent, you know, $150 full of candy, but it does not fulfill the mitzvah. Why? Because the mishloach manot has to be the equivalent of a meal. It has to be equivalent of a meal. Uh, so it's important to do it, and it's important to do it on that day. The same thing goes with matanot le'ev yonim, to, to feed the poor. You have to give, each person has to give uh, to, uh, to two people. And it's uh, it's for each member of the family. Many times you'll have, let's say, the father or the mother of the family give, you know, uh, uh, twenty dollars and say, "Oh, this covers everybody." No, it doesn't. You, it's it's if you have you and your husband, and you have a few kids in your house, you have to do it for everybody. It's a, it's an important mitzvah. This is this is Purim. Purim is not just it's not a costume. Purim is not a uh, Purim is is an opportunity for you to give uh you know and 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 in essence use what akadosh gave you in order to create unity among amis and it's actually one of those times uh where uh the sages teach that whoever asks you on that day give don't uh, don't investigate throughout the rest of the year you should investigate who you give to you should investigate your tztaka to uh, you know before you give but uh during uh during purim you don't need to investigate now the question is Why do we need to investigate Staka? Isn't everybody that needs Staka righteous? Isn't every campaign that you see on the internet with a big rabbi's name on it and even a picture sometimes, perhaps even a video from 20 years ago, but nonetheless, they affiliated to that current campaign. You know, isn't that have to do with it? Sometimes you'll even have letters. And so, doesn't that mean that that campaign is 100% good? Doesn't that mean that whatever that campaign says on the internet that it's going to do, it's going to be fulfilled where it tells you that if you donate $180 or 180 shekels, you know, uh, uh, then all of your sins will be forgiven. Or if you have somebody that died and uh, you want to take them out of Gehenna, all you need to do is commit 180 shekels a month for 12 months or for three years, and we'll take them out of gay or they'll tell you listen you want to do a tikkun for a zillion and a half sins you've made throughout your entire life all you got to do is just send 150 dollars and that's it we'll pray for you on you know during uh, this time and that's it you're done it's as if you are a brand new person or on this auspicious day as long as you donate 180 dollars you're gonna find your zivug this year and on and on and on in all of these different uh, so-called campaigns and schoolot question is how come how come there are still people that have not found their shidduch how come there are still people that uh, have not gotten those blessings fulfilled how come how come if these campaigns are real how come and the reason is because you have to make sure to know that uh, it's not a mitzvah to be naive not a mitzvah to be naive. It's not a mitzvah to uh to simply believe everything and everyone. And it's important for you to know that Akadosh Bahu does expect us to search what we're doing, to investigate what we're doing when it comes to tzedakah no less than the uh you know you do in your traditional investments. I had a guy contact me uh, uh, just uh, the other day, asking me about an investment that he wants to make. Now, I generally don't speak about specific investments, especially if people uh, ask me about stocks, because I don't follow the stock market anymore. I have 20 years of experience in it, so I don't necessarily need to follow it to know what's going on. But nonetheless, if it's general advice somebody asks me about their business or about uh general investment i don't mind asking it and uh, i don't mind answering it i don't mind guiding people uh it's perfectly fine as long as you know people are number one they're receptive and don't waste my time and number two they're actually my students and they're not just people that are just looking to get free advice now uh there are times where people want something more specific and they start uh you know asking me for stock tips and things like that i don't have them because i don't follow but even more so, the worst kind is when people ask me for advice, I give them the advice, and then they start debating me. That's generally a, a, a person that I'll never give advice to, and sometimes even put them on block, simply because it's annoying, and I don't have time for that. So when it comes to uh, giving people advice, uh, I don't look at investments in, the, uh, you know, in a real estate or in a market or in a business as, uh, as something that is all too different than your investments for eternity really the main difference is the fact that your investments in this house or this building or this stock or this business uh, at the best the best case scenario is it'll work out it'll appreciate in value you'll make some money out of it and perhaps maybe donate some stock that's the best case scenario uh now the worst case scenario is you lose your money That's the worst case scenario. Now, on the other hand, when it comes to Tzedakah, the best case scenario is you give a certain amount of money in Tzedakah to the right place and it's impossible for you to lose. The second, uh, the, the worst case scenario is you give the same amount or even more to the wrong place and it's actually considered a sin and you'll get punished for it, and Rabbi Nachman Breslov says someone that gives taka to the wrong places is considered as if they've wasted seed, as if they've wasted seed, because seed is the shefa that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives you, and money is the shefa that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives you, and when a person simply wastes it, it's uh, obviously admonished, it's, not, uh, it's, it's frowned upon in Shemaim, to say the least. So, a person has to know that when it comes to giving, you can't just simply believe everything. You can't just simply give blindly, even though most people do. Most people do. So, I always tell people, generally speaking, when you're donating, you have to uh, uh, connect your personal experience to wherever you're donating. Meaning, if you've benefited uh, from such and such location, whether it be a yeshiva or a rabbi, uh, a of organization, uh, 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 whatever it is uh, that you've benefited from this place, that's continuing to spread more Torah. The most, that's the place you want to give to. Uh, you know, a lot of times people want to give to the big names. Why? Because they figure if it's a big name, surely it's reputable, surely it's good. And it's not necessarily always the case. You know, many times people like to tell, ask me. Oh, listen, Rabbi uh, Kanievsky is on uh, on the picture of this campaign. Do you think it's okay? Do you think the blessing will come true? And I always tell them, honestly, I personally don't think that Rabbi Kanievsky is even aware of that particular campaign. They put his picture on it. I mean, you're, you're not going to find Rabbi Kanievsky looking on the internet to see where you'll find him. So uh, I don't think that uh, you're going to have much uh, 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 double checking on that. But quite frankly, I think that there's a lot of big tzaddikim that are thrown on the internet as supporters of certain campaigns that uh, you have to double check, just to say it nicely. Uh, and, uh, And the key is to know is that many times people want to donate to these big campaigns because they figure that if this big rabbi is behind it, therefore it's going to work. And many times it doesn't work. And part of the reason is because you gave it to the wrong place. Sometimes it's a good place, but still the wrong place for you. Uh, it, your neshama is not connected to that particular place sometimes it's the wrong place and it looks like the right place uh sometimes it's the wrong amount sometimes it's the wrong prayer there's a lot of different things that go into it but really the biggest thing we want to talk about is uh is, is legitimacy of things because we saw that in parashat Pekude, this week's parasha akadosh baruchu says this uh, these are the reckonings of the tabernacle the tabernacle of testimony uh, which were reckoned at moshe's bidding so we see that this tabernacle is uh, is obviously is the Bet mikdash of the desert uh, as i said the other day out of the three uh temples if you will or or, or houses for akadosh baruchu that were built in this world only one of them was not destroyed the first and the second beta Megdash were destroyed but the tabernacle of Moshe Rabbeinu was not destroyed and one of the uh you know big reasons behind it aside from the fact that anything that Moshe touched Akadosh who vowed will be eternal just like the five you know the Torah is eternal Am Yisrael is eternal uh and so is the tabernacle that moshe ravenu built was uh, indestructible so you had the uh the the kdusha uh that came from moshe ravenu protected the tabernacle despite the fact that there were wars against amalek and and, and against the Midianim and Sichon, and you know there was a lot of wars a lot of turmoil and yet the tabernacle uh survived perfectly well while the Bet migdash the first and the second one that were much bigger much uh, stronger material uh, much more uh, 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 a much bigger army and so on yet they uh they aged and lost uh, uh lost their place in the world so one of the reasons is the fact that you have moshe Rabbeinu behind it the second reason is the fact that you see from this week's parasha that Moshe Rabbeinu told everybody to stop giving once we've reached our quota of what we need to build this tabernacle that's it we don't need you to give extra because the money that you're giving is not going to Moshe Rabbeinu's pocket it's not going to the Leviim it's not going to any it's going to specifically uh, it's an investment for your eternity and you see the level of integrity and honesty that Moshe Rabbeinu had it was second to none and that integrity was not just by Moshe but also by Aaron a Cohen and his sons also by Betzalel and all of the people that were involved in the tabernacle were very very holy people there were a lot of holy people but these were the exceptional ones above and beyond everyone else so that's another reason why you have a uh, a significant blessing here where you have holy people behind it now of course it's a uh, that's that's one thing we want to look at in any place that we donate to. Who's behind it? What holy person is behind it? The second thing that we see is that this parasha starts with Ele pekudeh. Ele pekudeh, These are the reckonings. What does it mean? These are the reckonings. What does it mean? These are the reckonings. Well, the sages teach us that uh, the uh, the second temple and the first temple. Lost their blessings because they they were missing something. They were missing something. What were they missing? They were missing a certain type of sanctity that Moshe Rabenu had and they didn't have. Where the first uh, temple, the first Bet Hamikdash, Shlomo uh, Bet had a lot of kedusha. The Gemara in Yoma says that the uh, the Shekhinah, uh would uh, was on top of the first Bet each day there would be a miracle where the uh, there would be a fire coming from heaven in the image of a lion to uh, consume all of the korbanot, all of the sacrifices. There were endless miracles. The, uh, the Gemara in Masechet Yoma, page 21b, says that there was uh, the, the temple, the Bet HaMikdash of Shlomo HaMelech, had golden fruit trees. Golden fruit trees. No, no, no analogy here, no uh, parable here. Literally, there were golden fruit trees, and it's actually one of the ways that Hakadosh Baruch Hu made the uh, the uh, the Qanim wealthy, because the uh, uh, the uh, the Qanim, uh, the Levites, would uh, wait for the uh, season to change, and the uh, the fruits of the golden fruit trees would uh, would fall from the tree, and they would be able to take it and 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 live off of this gold. So you see the Gemara talks about extraordinary things that happen. And in fact, the, uh, the Gemara elaborates in a couple of places about these special golden uh, fruit trees, which Bezat Hashem will also be uh, in the third Betamigdash. Some people think these are just fairy tales, but anyone that learns uh, uh, knows that uh, the, the basic meaning is never something that you run away from. There are, there are many times and practically always, hidden meanings additional meanings different facets to the same diamond but the basic shot is always there so these golden trees actually existed and in fact page 39b talks about how Shlomo HaMelech had these uh the, these golden trees planted uh all over the uh the better uh and uh the uh when the uh uh, the idol worshippers uh, took over the Betamigdash, Mikdash they uh, of course stopped growing but in addition to that one of the things that you see that Shlomo Melech had an enormous amount of gold an enormous amount of gold and uh, where did uh, uh, Shlomo Melech have this enormous amount of gold the same Gemara Yoma, uh, page 44b you could really uh, if you want to learn in Parashat Ude, you should learn Yoma because there's countless sources that are connected to the two. When uh, page 44 of Masichat Yoma, it talks about how uh, Shlomo HaMelech knew that there were seven different types of gold. Seven different types of gold uh, in the world, uh, where uh, the Gemara says there's ordinary gold, uh, there is Zahav Tov, which is called good gold, there's uh, uh, Zahav Ofil, which is gold of Ofil. uh lustrous gold gold closed gold and Parvaim gold seven different types of uh gold the uh the uh, the gold that's ordinary and the good gold are uh mentioned in a uh, uh in in genesis chapter 2 verse 12 where it says that the uh the gold of this land was good the gold of Ophir uh which uh came from the uh Ophir Ophir was a uh um uh something that Shlomo Melech mentions in the uh, Book of Kings Kings 1 chapter 9 verse 28 uh this uh this 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 unique gold was a very precious gold then you have the lustrous gold that uh resembled pearls then you have the sachut gold the sachut gold was uh because it was like uh spun like thread the sahud gold and uh, the closed gold zav Sagul was that uh the moment that anyone started selling it every shop would be closed why because nobody would be interested in any other product other than this gold and the pervaim gold was a unique gold that resembled the blood of the bulls the blood of the bulls so you have different types of gold and the Gemara also talks about how one of the unique things about this types of gold was not just its malleability or or its a uh, its color, if you will, uh, but uh, rather the fact that the uh, one type of gold here reproduced itself, would give birth to another gold. You put one bar in your closet and uh wait a little bit and it will become two bars give birth to another gold so this is one of the ways that shlomo was able to uh acquire an enormous amount of gold he knew exactly where to find this unique type of gold uh and uh the point is is that you had a very very special blessing in the first betta mikdash someone that did not see the first betta mikdash has never seen beauty that's how beautiful the first Betta Mikdash was uh, but yet the first Betta Mikdash had one uh, uh deficiency if you will which is that it was uh uh Melech used a lot of non-Jewish workers and uh although those uh, non-Jewish workers weren't uh you know uh, uh Nazis or anything like that uh but the fact is that the since there were non-jews that were building this betta mikdash the supernatural uh aspect that the tabernacle had from, from the kedusha of moshe Rabenu, that made it simply uh, uh uh something that uh overcame the nature of the world uh was not uh in the uh you know was not found in the uh, first betta mikdash where the tabernacle would never get old despite the desert horrific environment the wars the constant moving it never got old it stayed brand new as uh, as it was from the beginning whereas the first bet with despite all of the gold the beauty and everything else it got old it got old it had to be repaired uh replaced and so on so that uh what seems minor was major that meaning it's like you have a uh, two uh, 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 yeshivot one has a big tzaddik that's serious about helping do the other one is good but they're just focused on whoever attends whoever attends they're gonna uh you know focus on whoever is there very good but not the same thing as the other one why because one of them is worried about the jews that are inside and the Jews that are outside, and one is worried about the Jews that are inside. Okay, no problem. Third example was the Second Bet Second Bet Hamidash, the was built uh, by uh, uh, King Cyrus was uh, was behind it. Also, you had uh, Herod, the uh, the tyrant, uh, and of course, not only did it uh, not have the uh, the blessing of the Tabernacle, it didn't even have the blessing of this first betta mikdash where the gemara in Masechet says that there were five different things that were missing from the uh uh second betta mikdash that were that existed in the first betta mikdash the arona kodesh the uh, Luchot HaBrit, uh you know these things were not in the second betta mikdash uh and in fact the gemara says that even the fire from heaven that came down was not the same why was it not the same page uh, 21b says that the fire from heaven that came down to consume the korbanot in the first betta mikdash the fire was the, in the image of a lion in the second betta mikdash the fire was in the image of a dog why a dog because the sitra achra the yetzara was in essence feeding off of the second betta mikdash was feeding off of the second Betta Mikdash, was in essence in a, uh, a very superior position, if you will, in the second Betta dash Even though it's a yeshiva or a Bet Knesset, still the Yetzarah is very, very much involved. Unfortunately, we see that today where you have certain places where it's a beautiful Bet Knesset or yeshiva or whatever it is, but the Torah that's coming out of there is not exactly glut. Like you have organizations in the world that happen to have as many locations as Starbucks in Russia, in Ukraine, in America, in Australia, in Israel, in every corner in the world that there's Jews. And even if there isn't Jews, you'll have this organization's uh, shlichim uh, uh, over there. But the Torah that you hear from many of them today is nowhere near the same Torah that you heard from their forefathers a couple of hundred years ago. Their forefathers were willing to die for a single mitzvah of tzitzit. Today, the uh, people are uh, very, very different. They tell you that the, uh, there is no uh, ganim, the, the 100% kfira. So you see that there is a very, very big difference. But of course, when you're talking about organizations that uh, send their shlichim everywhere, you can't just say, oh, it's all bad. There is a lot of good. There's a lot of good where you see these people are musay nefesh, they sacrifice their life, they go to India and try to build a community there despite the uh, uh, assassination that took place uh, and terrorism that took place uh, there not too long ago. Uh, they go and they sacrifice their life to try to build some type of jewish school there and community there and they go to uh, different places in africa and different places in uh, all over the world so there is a lot of good that's there similar to the second betta mikdash but if you compare it to the first betta mikdash it's almost like world apart if you compare it to the first betta mikdash it's almost like a different religion so again it's important for a person to know where they stand in order to know where they're going we can't continue to fool ourselves and pretend like everything is perfect because if everything was perfect rabotai then everybody would be uh in a very different place than they are today so now the question is how does this all have to do with staka with money What, what does it all have to do with it well first and foremost we see that uh these uh these bethelmic this tabernacle uh obviously were not just built out of uh, toothpicks you know there was a lot of money that put into them the the first bethelmic dash the second bethelmic dash but when a person really thinks about you know luxury and so on the, you know the image of the tabernacle doesn't usually appear as something that is a, a luxurious you figure that oh it was nice but it wasn't like the first betta mikdash it wasn't like the second betta mikdash although you are right that there was a lot more gold and silver in the first and second betta mikdash this does not mean that there wasn't a lot in the tabernacle and i actually did the uh, rough calculation today where we actually saw that the uh the calculation in this week's parasha and in this week's parasha it talks about how you have a uh A tabernacle that's traveling for 40 years that it would seem doesn't uh you know doesn't have much but when you actually look at the calculations you see something extraordinary what is extraordinary you see that it had 87,000 sela of gold and over 300,000, 301,775 of silver. Now, this doesn't really sound like much. 87,000 sounds like $87,000, maybe $100,000. Okay, so was a cool tabernacle, right? 300,000 sounds like, okay, so that 300,000 silver. Okay, so, you know, but of course, when we think about the first and second of the Midrash, we're thinking billions. I did the calculation and again, this is a rough, rough calculation with gold being at approximately two thousand dollars today. The eighty-seven thousand selah is close to ninety million dollars. Ninety million dollars worth of gold in the tabernacle. And the three hundred thousand or so Sela of silver was a little bit less than four million dollars. A little bit less than four million dollars so you're talking about a hundred million dollar almost building traveling in the desert for 40 years it's no chump change you know we're not talking about a uh, little tent with like sometimes our mind tells us that I had you know some skin some nice images perhaps uh, you know a cool maybe two three thousand dollar pan over there well, you know but at tzadikim so that's good that counts no no we're also talking about something that was very very expensive very valuable and of course if you tie inflation to it and so on you're talking about something that was extraordinary now yes this was lesser amounts than the first and second betta mikdash but that too the chachamim say is to prove a point is that although the uh, tabernacle had less gold and silver it had more blessing, and the reason why is because a kadosh who rests his present The Shekhinah doesn't go where there's necessarily the most amount of money; it goes where there's the most amount of tzaddikim. So you're not necessarily always going to find a kadosh Hu at the biggest organization that has the most amount of donors. You will find a kadosh with the place that has the most amount of righteousness, the most amount of Kedusha, the most amount of tzadikim the other thing is that the uh the HaKadosh says why is it say ele ele is these these are what is these are it says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is trying to tell us you see all these things all of these parts all this gold hundred million dollars in, uh, in, in gold and silver and all types of jewels and all types of things you see all of these don't think that that's what made this tabernacle special because the buildings that am Yisrael built after were much more elaborate much uh, uh you know more expensive but yet akadosh who was in the mishkan in the in the tabernacle and a uh with 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 much more holiness there why because it's not about the money the uh says he brings the uh in uh where he says why is money in Hebrew in the uh, Biblical language called Mamon because Mamon stands for is, uh, what are you uh what are you counting as if to say what are you counting this money so much why are you always worried about your uh, uh, your investments in real estate, your investments in Bitcoin and stocks and businesses, why are you always counting that money? Don't you realize that it's only going to stay here? Don't you realize it's only going to stay here? It's not going to come with you. And many times you see that there are certain people that they uh, uh, want to donate their money you know—to to places that are not necessarily places that are producing the most amount of kedusha most amount of uh, good things they're more inclined to invest their money in a piece of property in a piece of a uh, a business and even in a uh, organization that simply seems like it's more popular that's that's what uh, a lot of people do and so the Torah wants to teach us a little bit about our, our those investments those investments why because while we just learned that money is not something that a person should really uh, uh, spend so much time counting. You know, you shouldn't uh, uh, lose sleep over how much money you have and how much money you want to have, and all of those things. Of course, it's everybody's got to manage their expenses and their, you know, and, and their and their uh, 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 um, what they need to do in their life. But people simply become obsessed with it so much so that there are literally endless amount of money shows. Uh, that have now infiltrated themselves into the Jewish world. There are now Jewish money shows, which is, uh, again, on one end resourceful, on another end a little bit ridiculous. That uh, we uh, we are at that point. That it's a you'll see, uh, you know, a lot more people watching a money show than you'll see people, let's say, learning Torah. Uh, and again, it it kind of shows us a little bit of a sign of the times. I'm not necessarily frowning upon it that it's bad. I'm just saying it's we should know where we stand. That you'll, you're, you're more likely to uh, get a 500 people to show up to a lecture about money than you will about Torah that can save their eternity. It's simple. You're more likely to uh, you know, uh, convince a guy to spend a million and a half dollars or two million dollars to buy himself another house that he doesn't need or another business that he doesn't want uh, especially after he finds out that the books are cooked then for him to use that couple of million dollars to go and build another torah institution that produces more tzadikim it just is what it is and especially if a person doesn't see a uh a, a financial incentive from it where they say listen i'm only going to donate if i get the write-off i'm only going to donate If I get my name on a building I'm only gonna donate if I get exclusive undivided attention from the rabbi or from the uh, people behind it and special relationship and everybody you know does their thing in in such a fashion that they expect a lot and it kind of kills it why does it kind of kill it because it shows that really the the the, uh, the driving force behind that donation is not necessarily as pure as it looks and that's what we actually saw in the uh, first and second Beta Beautiful buildings, but they did not have the holiness of the tabernacle. So, what was so special about the tabernacle aside from Moshe Rabenu? I mean, Moshe Rabenu is enough. He's Keneget Kulam. He's against the whole nation. Uh, he's meaning his equivalent as if uh, he's valued the same as if the, against the entire nation. But I actually saw something today that was very extraordinary. that uh, i think is uh gives us a little bit more clarity more clarity as far as why does the hashem why does hashem specify the gold the quantity of gold uh, a few extra words before and after the gold why does you repeat it again this week when it was already mentioned last week and let's go delve into it and how does that connect also to the first and second betta so let's see we see that this week in parashat pekudet the torah tells us in uh in uh chapter 38 the beginning of the parasha in verse number uh, 24 24 25 that uh all the gold that was used for the work for the holy work the raised gold was 29 kikal 730 shekels in the sacred shekels the silver of the senses of the assembly was 100 kikal 1,775 shekels in the sacred shekels a beka for every head a half shekel in the sacred shekels for all intents and purposes for most people that have not looked at onkelos or the gemara or the midrash or i've had a chidush, everything i just read you're asking yourself right now what did he just say did he just curse me out is he is he making fun of me why is he reading this what does that have to do with me let me tell you on kilo says <laughs> what does all of this mean all the gold that was used for the work for all the holy work the raised gold was 29 kikar raised gold why what is this raised gold what is this raised gold backtrack to last week's parashat Baruch Hu says in uh, chapter 35 verse number 22 and even before it in a uh, verse number 21 where it uh, says every man whose heart inspired him came and everyone whose spirit motivated him brought the portion of Hashem, for the work of the oil moed for all its services and for the sacred garments the men came with the women everyone whose heart motivated him brought bracelets nose rings ring body ornaments every kind of gold ornament and every man who raised a raising of gold to hashem so again we see this language of a uh, person that was motivated that was inspired and we gave this raised gold what is this raised gold what is this raised gold so first and foremost Unculus explains know that when it the torah says that each person came and brought the gold it was due to their to their heart being inspired and uncle says that means it's everyone that their spirit perfected them meaning that they were using they were doing chuva they were doing chuva and through that chuva they got the inspiration to donate because they were doing tshuva they got the inspiration to donate but not just any type of tshuva where they started keeping shabbat kosher but they continued uh, uh, you know wasting seed and uh being immoral and cheating and lying No, no no not just any type of tshuva they were doing a specific type of tshuva a tshuva that inspired and perfected them and in fact it led them to give an enormous amount of gold enormous amount of gold i mean if we look at the comparison here we see that this gold was almost a hundred million dollars worth of gold whereas the silver was almost four million dollars first and foremost you should know the the gold and the silver was given by two different people while the gold was given by everybody that was inspired by their tshuva they gave an enormous amount They weren't obligated to do it. It's just simply anybody that was inspired to do it, gave. The silver, on the other hand, was an obligation on a specific group of people. Who are those people? The people that were fit to be the soldiers of Amishel. Anyone, any man between the ages of 20 to 60 had to give a half a shekel. Had to give this silver. Why? Because they had to protect themselves from when Akadosh told Moshe Rabbeinu to do a census and count the people. Count how many soldiers we have. And it can't be anybody as a soldier. It has to be righteous people, people that fulfill mitzvot. If a person was a uh, Mechalel Shabbat, he didn't survive the day, they would kill him. If a person was an idol worshiper, he died. If a person was scared to go to war, can't be in war he just got married can't go to war just build a house can't go to war so you're looking at these people that went to war were really really righteous people but in order to even fit the description they had to be men no women soldiers and two between the ages of 20 and 60. and several times in the Torah who asks Moshe to do a census and that census is something that we have to know about because we're not allowed to count Jews, and because it brings Ainara, it brings evil eye. So Kadosh says instead of counting the Jews, count something. Each one of them has to bring a silver coin, has to bring a, a half a shekel, and you count the shekels instead of counting the Jews. Today, if you are looking to count, let's say for a minyan, you count shoes or you count kippot or you count uh, talit. Uh, you know, especially if, you know, if, unless you're in a uh, keila where the young men that are unmarried uh, don't wear a talit, then you'll have a problem counting. But the point being is, is that you can't count Jews. Not to count Jews, it brings Aina, it brings evil eye. But these specific people, these soldiers were righteous people with tzaddikim, showing us that the uh, the people that went to war to defend Am Yisrael didn't need to have specific battle skills and uh guns and uh knives and all types of fighting skills no they need to be holy why because once you're holy who does the rest this is actually how the midrash and azor kadosh uh, explain how did the maccabees that were all tzaddikim learning in bet midrash all day how did they beat the vicious army of the greeks i mean the greeks were big fighters how did these little avrechim, that were maybe 150 pounds uh, soaking wet how do they beat so many of them forget about the quantity how do they beat even one the uh the, the chachamim teach us that as soon as they held the sword Akadosh B'chu made the sword do whatever it wants whatever he wants the sword meaning all they had to do is hold the sword was hold the sword who did the rest in so many words one sword start killing uh, uh, thousands of people which is something that a human being doesn't uh, doesn't have the ability. This is also why the reason why you're never going to find a uh, a, uh, a big uh, Gdola Dor, a uh, big tzaddik telling people, "Listen, why don't you go learn karate? Why don't you go learn uh martial arts uh, of other kinds? Why don't you go buy yourself a uh, you know, a uh, you know, building full of guns? That's not the way of Am Israel. We're not saying that uh, you you need to uh uh, uh be uh, delusional and walk around on enemy uh, lines thinking that God's going to protect you. obviously you have to you know uh, have common sense, but the amount of energy that people spend in uh, these types of things of, of thinking that they're going to defend themselves, they don't realize who's really running the world. So here we see that the smaller part of money that came for the tabernacle came from the righteous soldiers. Four million dollars worth of uh, of of silver. The bigger amount came from balet tshuva. But why is it balet tshuva? Why? What do they do tshuva for exactly? It says that the uncle says that these people were people that were perfected, people that did chuva. What do they do chuva? How? What's the hint of them doing chuva? Based on what they gave. What did they give? The men came with the women, meaning that both men and women had to do chuva here everyone whose heart motivated him brought bracelets nose rings ring and body ornaments Chumaz, humaz which onkelos calls it machuz what's a uh, machuz what's a chumaz? what's a body ornament the gemara in shabbat page 64a says this was a immorality uh, ornament they would put on their uh, sex organ meaning this specific donation was not just a donation of gold it was simply them raising their hands and proud proud listen I'm done with this immorality I'm done with this immorality I'm done with these jokes I'm done with desecrating hashem's name i'm done with i'm doing with hiding all types of perversions in the closet i'm done with it i'm giving away all of these perverted tools all of these perverted uh uh, uh things that are in there and i'm done and instead of a, what our logic would say why would a kadosh who want these filthy things that they put these gold things that they put on their male member or female members like it's disgusting Akadosh B'khuz Dafkai want it. Why Dafkai want it? Because that's their chuva. That's what shows me that they're really doing chuva. Many times you're going to see people donate a lot of money to a bit Knesset, a yeshiva, but you're going to see those very same people that bought the Aliyah on Yom Kippur, that bought the uh, different uh, things on the high holidays, drive on Shabbat drive on the holiday, desecrate Hashem's name, be corrupt in business, do all types of things that show that that donation was simply an advertisement of nothing good. It was an advertisement that they have that Hashem gave them money. It was not an advertisement of their connection to Hashem. Akadosh who says they raised their hand each time they gave gold, they raised their hand and showed it. I'm giving this away. Why? Why? Isn't it an embarrassing? No, I'm not embarrassed of my chuva. You see, this this thing, this gold, this perversion, this immorality was what's keeping me distant from Hashem. I'm giving it away. To what? I'm giving it to the tabernacle. I'm giving it to the Betamigdash. I'm done with it. This gold symbolized chuva. Chuva for the idolatry that we fell for at the uh, Mount Sinai the golden calf the lack of rebuke for the people that even they didn't fall for the idolatry itself the golden calf didn't rebuke those that did so that was tshuva for those two things but also the gold represented a tshuva and elevation of the soul for tshuva of immorality now this is something extremely significant to the extent that it gave a life of its own to the betta mikdash of the desert to the tabernacle that the first and second betta mikdash did not have how do we know it didn't have we see we see that it may have had it at some point but the destruction of the first betta mikdash was for what for idolatry for murder for uh, uh um Immorality, idolatry, murder, and immorality—these are the very same things that this gold represented. So, although a lot more gold was donated to the first and second Bet that gold was not of the same spiritual value as the gold we see in the Mishkan in Parashat Pekude because the gold of the Mishkan was gold that came was was that came from shuvah from people that really meant that they wanted a connection with hashem and they're willing to sacrifice all of the garbage of the past they are done with it and that's one of the things that each and every single one of us has to know that at the time of the betta mikdash anytime somebody would make a sin uh, accidentally they would have to bring a sacrifice but that sacrifice was only part of the job. The bigger part was the prayer that they had to do, to do tshuva. Because if you didn't do tshuva, there's no point of bringing a sacrifice. And that's really the same thing when it comes to today. Each time a person you know, gives staka, they want to donate X amount of money for this or for that, you have to understand, if the if you are not doing tshuva along with that staka you're simply throwing your money away that's really what's happening you're throwing your money away now it's still good to do it because maybe that staka will give you the merit to open up your heart and hopefully do tshuva one day but don't think that that staka by itself that charity by itself is a replacement for you doing tshuva and fixing your actions and thereby we go back to the organization itself Why do I care if I give my $180,000 or $180 or whatever amount of money to one Torah organization versus another? Because sometimes I have the inspiration to do tshuva and that's why I give tzedakah. Sometimes I have the motivation just to give but not necessarily to change myself. That's when I need the organization to help me. You see, I don't need an organization that only helps other people. I need an organization that also helps me. So if I'm going to donate, I want an organization that is reminding me that I need to do tshuva, that I need to fix myself. And therefore, if this campaign that you have here or this campaign that you have there or this organization that you have here or this organization that you have there if all of these places that are out there are simply telling me of all the wonderful things that they're doing elsewhere they're helping this guy they're helping that guy they're doing all types of great things but none of it connects to me i don't watch any of their videos i don't care for any of their videos i don't care for any of their books. I don't, it has no connection to me. So who's going to be the one that reminds me to do tshuva? Who's going to be the one that reminds me to fix myself? And that's where a person needs to think clearly. Before they donate a single penny, they have to think. Sometimes I do have the strength to go and motivate myself to do tshuva, and that is what's motivating me to donate. But that's not always the case. More times than not, i don't have that that strength to do chuva i have a strength a few dollars i want to do something good i'm a good person so i give here and i give there but in reality that staka that i'm giving it's not worth much why god doesn't need my money <speaking in Hebrew> who says, mine is the money mine is the gold said the hashem the god of legions so It's not the money that Hashem wants. He wants our heart. He wants our tshuva. So if the organization is not doing anything for me to help me do tshuva, then why am I giving it to them? What are they doing that is actually helping me to go to Allah Them helping, I don't know, their local students or their, uh, I don't know, employees or their people. Yeah, that's great. But I need somebody to help me do tshuva because that's what's going to give my staka real value value that will last no less than the tabernacle of Moshe Rabbeinu value that will be appreciated in such magnitude that akadosh Baruch Hu says that staka, that money that's eternal why because it came with tshuva it came with as a servitude of Hashem it's a person refining himself and using tzedakah as, number one, a way to refine himself, but also as a, uh, uh, something that he uh, shows as this is a sign that I refine myself. Hence the reason why the Torah tells us, and Onkelos elaborates on it, where he says this is not only people that have uh, elevated themselves, but also, Akadosh B'chu reminds us multiple times that this was not just gold, but this was raised gold. What does it mean, raised gold? Each time they gave the gold, they raised it in the air. I'm doing tshuva, and that rabutai is something that you have to be proud of. If the organization, the rabbi, the whoever campaign that's out there is not really motivating you to do that. You have to think twice before you invest there your eternal investments. This is something that I thought of. This is something that I've seen. And this is something that we can learn from. So with that being said, we're going to take a little bit of a drink. And then you guys can ask some questions. Let's see. We have uh, first question I see is from Jack. Okay, Jack writing. I liked your I liked our conversation about the difference between Hashem wanting like being our Father and He wants to be a uh, verse. Okay, my last version. Okay, so what Jack's talking about is a message exchange that we had. Uh, earlier today about uh, how uh, there are times where uh, you'll hear from me and from many uh, books where uh, you'll see that it uh, says that Hashem wants us to do mitzvot. Hashem wants us to give tzedakah. Hashem wants, 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 wants. Uh, so he says, how is this different from Hashem needs? Like Manus Friedman and uh, Y.Y. Jacobson and uh, the rest of the heretics that are out there say that you know, Hashem needs Actually, I'm not sure if Y.Y. Jacobson says that Hashem needs, but I do know that he denies Sochar Ve'onish. Uh, either way, the, uh, the point is, is that uh, what's the difference between Hashem wants and Hashem needs? It uh, kind of sees, sounds the same because when we want, typically, when, uh, that's when we need. Well, first and foremost, we should know that Akadosh B'Chu says to the Prophet, uh, uh, because my thoughts are not like your thoughts. Hashem does not think like us. Uh, so the things that go into our heads as this is what this would mean and this is what this would imply and this is what this represent is not what hashem thinks this is why we have our sages that uh, uh, know the tools and and the systems of how to uncover the divine uh, knowledge that's out there the second thing is also to realize that akadosh is not only our, our king but he's also our father when we uh, serve him he's our father when we don't serve him he's going to act like a king king meaning that there is uh, a uh, measurement of punishment that comes along with it so now uh, does not want to punish his children but if we force him to uh, he, he has it's his own law and therefore because he does not want to punish us because he only created us out of a uh, uh, because he wants to give us good out of a desire to give us good that desire does not mean he needs us this is a simple uh, understanding of the language itself especially when it comes to Hebrew where when someone says that uh, I uh, uh, need that means that that person is lacking okay if I if it's if I say I need a drink that means that I am lacking uh, you know the, uh, the 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 liquid to keep myself alive, to keep myself uh, talking, and so on and so forth. I need. If somebody says I need air, that means that they're lacking it. If somebody says I need money, that means that they're lacking it. Its need comes from a lacking. To say that a kadosh who is lacking anything is one hundred percent heresy. It's one hundred percent heresy. It is something that uh, um, uh, goes against the thirteen principles of faith which the Rambam and the rest of Klal Yisrael says that uh, 13 principles of faith are the minimum principles that every Jew must believe and anyone who does not is considered a heretic that is not considered part of Klal Yisrael so to say that uh, a Kadosh needs violates that so uh, so what does desire mean what does want mean want in our mind want typically is like a child that he says he wants but we know he really just uh he says he needs but he really wants here we have to understand that when Hashem says he wants something it's not because he is lacking it but rather because he wants it for our benefit. similar to how you want your child to eat all of his food or you want your child to go to sleep or you want your child to do their homework you don't you know you're not benefiting out of them eating you're not going to get satiated as a result of your child eating all of their food you're not going to get rested as a result of your child uh, uh, sleeping you may end up working a few more hours because they slept more and you're able to catch up on work you may end up uh, doing a lot of other things but you're not going to get more rest because they're sleeping you're not going to get more uh, vitamins into your body because they're eating you're not going to get smarter because they're educating themselves meaning that you want all of those things not because you're lacking them but you want them because you love your son you love your daughter and you desire for them to have good and therefore you desire for them to do good to do certain things that will bring them good so this want this desire is not an outcome of lacking but rather an outcome of love and there's a very huge difference between loving somebody and needing somebody god does not need us god is perfect with or without us but he does love us and therefore he wants to give us good and therefore he wants us to do good so he can give us good because he created a law called the torah that only allows him to give us good that if, if we do good Now, good, of course, is referring to good in the eternal world, not just good in this world. And good is not just something material, good is something spiritual. And the point being is is that when the heretics start thinking like they are God, they start thinking that God thinks like them. So they figure that every time they want, they also need. And every time they need, they also want so therefore if they think like that surely god thinks like that this is another form of heresy that stems from arrogance the deepest level of arrogance that uh will be uprooted from the world but it's important to know that god does not need anything as the prophet job says In Meaning, even if you did righteous things, you are right. What are you giving him? What are you giving Hashem? What your mitzvot? You're not giving it to him, it's for you. Your Torah? It's not for him, it's for you. Your deeds? It's not for him, it's for you. Everything is for you. Everything is for you. If you do good, you go to heaven, not Hashem. Hashem doesn't go to heaven if you do good. If you do bad, you go to Gehenim, not Hashem. Hashem doesn't go to Gehenim. Hashem has no concept of of reward and punishment being delivered on him it's us we the servant the second a person starts deluding themselves to think that they are in a position of power that that they are in a position of control they could literally turn the king of all kings into the servant similar to how Manus the Rashad freedman is doing on a regular basis where he says god needs people and this has grown in its heretical nature to such an extent that he even says that god needs us to the extent that he should he is going to or he should apologize to us for putting us through the exile for two thousand years i mean the level of disrespect to the king of all kings i i don't know if if anybody even talks to their enemy that way i don't think anybody even talks to their enemy that way i don't think that the uh the the um, uh uh, the president of ukraine is gonna talk to uh the president of russia that way okay but yet this moron who pretends to be a rabbi actually says these things that god's gonna apologize to us why because he is in a uh, uh, uh arrogant state of mind that's to the extent that he thinks he is so much better than anything else in the world that he has already has turned himself into something godly and this is why arrogance is considered toy Hashem. arrogance is considered an abomination why because arrogance is the root of idolatry a person turning themselves into an idol uh or, or turning something else into an idol these all come from idolatry. they don't come from stupidity they come from uh, arrogance i mean Uh, They come from arrogance, not stupidity. Uh, Of course, arrogance is stupid, but it's stupid for a different reason. So it's important to know that there is a, uh, a relationship that we have with Hashem that is based on our need of Him and His love of us. At the best case scenario, you will always need God and fear Him and maybe even love Him at the best or case scenario hashem loves us wants the best for us but if we do not follow what he says it'll turn that love into hate but it's again even the hate is not the same type of hate as human beings because he doesn't think like us but nonetheless there is a punishment there is a consequence so it's important to know that there's a difference and for reminding me to uh share it with the rest of the people next uh, till he's asking how do you respond to relatives and or friends who say that they god forbid do not believe in god and they argue with you and it greatly upsets me uh, others say that they are not so religious so they do not have to follow all the mitzvot should i forward them your great new movie signature of god and other uh, uh, movies of purpose of life well you have to look at it this way um one day you're going to have you know you're going to complete this life we're all going to complete this life at some point you know we all like to say 120 uh but we all know that that's not necessarily always the case for everybody either way at some point a person leaves this world now assuming that this person has done tshuva has kept shabbat has kept uh, the mitzvot to the best of their ability hashem is going to show them both heaven and hell he's going to show them ganed and geno okay the, uh, the the ganed and this is your reward the the genome is if a person is really righteous this is what's happening to those enemies of yours to those wicked people now of course a uh, it's hard for us to, to fathom such things but what if a person is now showed genome and he sees his brother there and he sees his cousin there and he sees his aunt his parents his kids he sees all those people there That's not exactly going to be such a pleasant uh, experience. Even if he himself is going to heaven, it's not going to be a pleasing experience. So my point is, is that anyone that you don't want to see in Genom, eventually, you should do everything possible to share our videos with them, to share my personal story, to share the signature of God, to share the movie Torah, Science, and... uh, uh, Wisdom of the Sages to share uh, the purpose of life by Rabbi Mizrahi to show uh, all types of videos, short and long, to encourage them to reevaluate their beliefs uh, and argue less, share more. Because many times, people that are very vocal about their lack of belief in hashem especially if they say stupid things like they're atheists and uh they don't need to do this and they don't need to do that people like that can actually cool you off and many times this all comes from arrogance uh and insecurity so a person should know that not everybody's fit to argue uh and not everybody is fit to argue with meaning you're not always necessarily the, the, the best person to be the one to argue. If you're getting weaker, if you're getting upset, if you're getting sad, it's better off for you not to argue at all. Uh, and if that person insults and takes things personally, it's better off for you not to argue with that person at all. Uh, so what do you do to help that person not go to get home? Simple. Share. Take one of the videos. You could join one of my uh, uh, WhatsApp groups and each day there are several videos that are posted in the morning in the afternoon all you got to do is go to that video press the little arrow next to it and forward it to as many people as possible each week send one two three four five ten videos however much you want depending on the crowd but send it to people share the videos I'm a professional I also have the answers and also I'm not you what does that mean I'm not you I'm not you, meaning that when it comes to them hearing information about Torah that's contrary to their pre-existing beliefs, when they hear it from you, it's something that they take personally. Why? Because you're their friend, you're their sister, you're their mother. You're somebody that's close to them and they know you from your past and therefore they feel like, you know, by you saying it to them, it's almost like they're losing to you if they agree with you. There's an arrogance at play here. Whereas when they hear it from me, since they don't know me from anything, they just see me as a person or they hear me, uh, uh, they don't know who I am. They know I'm not necessarily attacking them per se. I'm simply telling them the information that exists in the world and the information that's always been there, the information that is contradictory to what they believe. So when they hear me, they know that, oh, wait a minute, this information affects me. It affects me and... They are not as defensive as, a, uh, as they would be from you because they know I'm talking general, I'm talking to people, I'm talking to a crowd. I'm not talking to them personally, I'm not insulting them. And in essence, it's a, uh, the, the ego is usually lesser when it comes to that. So my recommendation to everybody, everybody, whether you are man or woman, young or old, religious from birth or Baal Tshuva, newly religious or uh, religious for a while any yeshiva in a kolal rabbi or student Jew or Gentile my recommendation to you is to share our videos with everyone that you know as often as you can uh, but not to the point of spam where you know you're sharing 10 videos a day and they simply block you you know share with tact share like as if you are a you know a Shem's marketing company you are a Shem's marketing company and you're sending the truth to these people on a regular basis. You know, you're sending it once a day, three times a week, whatever you choose, but you're sending it often enough for them to get the content. And even if they don't watch it every time, it's the same thing that marketing companies think. When they put out a commercial, they know that not everybody that watches that commercial is going to buy the product, but they continue marketing that commercial because eventually maybe that person will buy, or maybe they'll mention it to somebody else that will buy same concept here you have to become a shem's marketing company and i personally recommend the way i have done cube before i uh, ever got into it myself as far as being a speaker i focused on uh uh two uh, two speakers i didn't you know a lot of people they like to share like uh, everything like a uh, like a salad today it's rabbi this one and uh, tomorrow it's rabbi this one that one the rabbi this one and before you know it They share, you know, 5, 10, 20 different rabbis with everybody. I think that's the wrong approach. I think that approach is, actually, in my opinion, I think that approach is horrible. Why? Because if you finally got somebody out of all that sharing, not all of those teachers are people he connects to. Not all of those teachers are people he connects to. And really what you want is you want him to keep getting the message from the person he he gets, he connected to. So if that happens to be me, you want them to constantly listen to me. If that happens to be somebody else, you want to listen to that somebody else. But you have to keep doing, you have to be a messenger for one place, maybe two at most. That's it. You know, a lot of people like to share everything. And I know that people, they, they think that by sharing a lot, that means a lot. It doesn't. It doesn't, it's not have, it does not have the same effect. You don't see uh, Coca-Cola, Apple, and, uh, and and the rest of the branded companies Pretty much selling everything under the sun. They have specific things, all having the same brand, and that's what they focus on. Same concept when it comes to Torah. You have to utilize the tools of the world to spread Torah. You see that this works, that's what you share. And also, don't share things you have not watched, you have not connected to. You know share things that you know are real like many times people will share some uh some uh, rabbi because they saw somebody else share it but how do you know he's telling the truth i mean a lot of times people will share uh things and sometimes they'll even share with me and not realizing that this is one of the people that's on the list of heretics and i asked them why is this a new lecture about their heresy why are you sending it to me oh no i thought you'll find it interesting i'll find this interesting the guys are not because. you can't count them in young. you want to share with them? what's wrong but that's the thing people just share they share they share and again I think that the more thought you put into it uh the easier it becomes but sometimes people overdo it where they put too much thought into it meaning they now they have the speaker let's say let's fight for, uh, uh, for argument's sake let's say that speaker is me but now before they share, they think about is he or she going to like this lecture? No, maybe it's too hard for them. Maybe it's too this for them. Don't do that calculation. Don't do that calculation. Why? Whatever we say is from the Torah, it's for everybody. It's for everybody. The punishments are for everybody. The reward is for everybody. The learning is for everybody. That's what Akadosh Hu says in the Torah in Sefer Dvarim: In your mouth, in your heart to do it. Meaning the Torah, is something that is for everybody. The very same Torah that talks about Hashem destroying the world is for five and six year olds, and it's also for fifty and sixty year olds. The very same Torah that says that Hashem told us to you know leave Egypt is for the five-year-olds and for the fifty-year-olds. The very same Torah that says that Koach is not gained to this day is for the five-year-old and for the sixty-year-old. Don't start choosing for people and saying he can handle it he can't handle it once you found a truthful speaker a source of truth stop thinking just share just share the the, the thinking that i thought that i was uh, referring to is thinking when you're you know uh trying to pick the right speaker for everybody that's not you need prophecy for such a thing simply find a source of truth and let us do the rest let us do the rest I think that is something that uh, you can do for all of these people, instead of argue with them, because, like I said, it will uh, it will help them and it will also help you, uh, and a lot more than anything else. And uh, anybody that uh, you get into uh, debates with, that starts to get you upset and 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 you start cooling off because of them, you have to uh, stop doing it and uh, and quite frankly disassociate with them. Uh, unless they change their uh, behavior and either do tshuva or at least start, be- start uh, behaving in a fashion where they respect your current beliefs and not, uh, uh, you know, uh, continue to act like missionaries. Next, uh, how is your HaTzadik allowed to be mummified? Uh, it says at the end of the parasha, the mummification process is not respectful to the, uh, to the body. How come Moshe rejected the mirrors uh, of the women in the uh, beginning? They accepted the uh, kumaz, the mishkan, uh rashi uh commentary would make it seem that uh, uh it should be the other way around okay so these are two questions i'll try to answer both questions but uh try to ask one question moving forward uh so as far as y- Yosef tzaddik and yakub avinu uh the uh the choices that they had uh were not necessarily as uh choices that regular people have they were uh, very special very unique people uh, but, uh, the, the bodies of, uh, Yosef, the body of, uh, of, uh, um, Yaakov were not mummified, uh, in the, uh, in the same fashion as the Egyptians, uh, but rather their, their bodies, uh, stayed perfect, uh, simply because they're tzedikim. but, uh, again, it's a, uh, when you are, uh, under the control of a Pharaoh and, and your, uh, um, I guess, rejection of uh, their customs could put an entire nation in danger, uh, it, uh, it makes the decision more clear. You're not allowed to uh, put um, the entire nation in danger uh, for the sake of you being buried a certain way. The second answer to that is the fact that the Torah was not uh, 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 obligatory to the uh, Shvatim, because we weren't given a torah for another couple of hundred years uh so the the whole alacha in regards to burial in regards to uh uh you know uh giving a certain respect for their body was not obligatory on the shvatim on the uh the, the avot on the people that lived before Matan torah, which is a few hundred years later so that's the other thing it's also the reason why yaakov was allowed to marry two sisters Whereas Matan Torah, allowed to marry two sisters. Chachamim say that's also the reason why Rachel died before he entered Eretz Yisrael. But the point is, is that all of these particular issues are very often discussed by the sages in saying that this was allowed because it was before Matan uh, Torah. Uh, and other times it's, uh, it says that, uh, you know, there's more details to the story. Now, more details to the story Comes into play with your second question about the mirrors. Now, these mirrors were not like mirrors that you buy in a store today. The mirrors of uh, of yesteryear, of the time of uh, Moshe Rabenu, were made out of copper. They were made out of copper, and uh, these mirrors were uh, were mirrors that the women would uh, use to entice their husbands to be intimate with them. Uh, so Moshe Rabenu did not want it. How are you going to use a tool that's uh, for intimacy uh, and, and, uh, and and use it for the bet Well Moshe Rabbeinu says this is inappropriate. That's human logic. Hashem says no. It's the opposite. I don't think like you here. I don't agree with you. Why? Because the women didn't use these mirrors to entice forbidden men or to to entice strangers to entice sin. They enticed their husbands in order to give their husbands and the entire nation a uh, purpose and a uh, uh desire to live because what was happening is that everybody was slaves and they weren't just slaves picking up rocks paro was doing very much the uh, the blueprint of what hitler did which paro was breaking the more the morale of the uh, of bnei israel he would give the men the the, the job of the women and the women, the job of the men. So not only making them work really, really hard and killing their children and so on, but also breaking their morale by giving them inappropriate jobs. So the men got very, very weak as a result of it and did not want to live anymore. The women, on the other hand, wanted, uh, knew that this uh, salvation is going to come eventually, but had to entice their husbands to want to live and not commit suicide. and not, uh... So what did they do? they would uh, uh, pamper themselves up and then as soon as their husbands would uh, would come they would come all beaten up from a a day of slavery and they would look at themselves in a mirror and then make their husbands look at themselves and say to their husbands in a flirtatious way look how beautiful I am and look at you look how beautiful I am look at you look how beautiful I am and look at you In essence, flirting with their husbands to make them recognize how beautiful they are in order to make their husbands desire them, in order for their husbands to be together with them, to bring a child to the world, and which in itself gives the man another reason to live. Live because he has a good wife. Live because of certain pleasures that still exist. Live because they now have a child. So all different reasons to live. So Hashem says the righteous women... Of, uh, of 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 bnei israel that enticed their husbands not only do i uh, want their mirrors that they use for the righteous reasons as part of my bet mikdash but it's due to them and their righteousness that amy uh, uh, merited to uh, to be uh, exiled from from uh, uh, from egypt in the first place uh so that's that's really the big thing is that in the same concept when it uh this this week this week's parasha with the uh shekel and everything else we see that the gold that uh was raised and in such pride was a humaz was a was a tool that somebody would put on their uh you know their their sex organ uh, as as a uh in order to commit immoral acts uh so this is something that uh was gifted why because them giving it show that they're doing Tshuva they're no longer going to use it so Hashem wants us to do Tshuva he wants us to give away all of the filth that's out there uh and and, and to use it for for good reasons and uh, we do uh Robert uh would bribing a city official for a building permit constitute an Allahic violation uh yeah i mean it's a uh it's a problem uh if it's especially if it's for personal benefit alone it's a problem because it is a uh a violation of the law uh law of the land uh is uh something that's important uh so long as it does not contradict the law of the torah uh and the law of the land is necessary or the uh the mishnah Yenavot says if it wasn't for the law of the land uh people would eat each other up. Therefore, we should pray for the, uh, the governments of the places we live in to, uh, to be strong and to be able to, to uh, keep order for their people, uh, because if it wasn't for that, people would kill each other. So part of the law of the land is that bribery is forbidden. So if a person wants to bribe a city official in order to, whatever, have some type of financial benefit to get some type of permit and so on, this could be very very problematic number one because it's a violation of the law number two because it could eventually lead to a desecration of hashem's name uh if this is exposed somewhere where uh they see oh this jew bribed such and such person and uh it makes all of the jews look bad uh so it's a it's a it's a problem and uh things like that are typically only done when uh, there is life risk of some kind and uh general uh, risk meaning people a lot of people at risk and not an individual uh, 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 Per se or individual benefit uh, Leora is asking if My child is listening to a kid's album out of song and there's female voice singing. Can my husband hear it? Uh, it I mean it, it's it's better that he doesn't it's better that your husband does not hear a woman sing uh It's a kol The Gemara says in Masechet Sota that uh, the voice of a woman is a—it's uh, like uh, nakedness, uh, meaning that uh, the natural inclination of a man is to have one thing lead to the other. Now, where there is leniency uh, you know, there, there are times that you would say a situation like this. If you don't know what the woman looks like, uh, then maybe there's a possibility that some uh, sample will be leaning on that he could hear this Aleph bet being sung, uh, because he doesn't know what the woman looks like. But typically these types of things today, especially today, everything is, is, uh, together with the video. So my recommendation for you is to just simply Either have all of the female uh, songs only uh, heard by you and your son uh, or daughter that are little, uh, or uh, find uh, male, uh, uh, you know, teachers. There is a uh, quite a few that uh, uh, that uh, you know that uh, teach Bet and uh, things like that. There's uh, endless supply of it uh, is, uh, that you could uh, you know that you could uh, watch um and there is a lot of programs out there with uh with men not just women uh if somebody doesn't know uh and needs recommendations you can send me a uh, text message and i'll uh, send you some links of different things that are uh you know for kids but only if you've done you know if you don't have any other place like there's plenty but you know uh, if you need it i'm more than happy to provide charlie how would you answer up in heaven some of the questions if when you were dishonest you were secular then you became about tshuva and became religious and very honest ah very good so the key is is to know that once a person does chuva, uh they uh by default uh are uh, you know supposed to say i'm sorry for any past uh dishonesty or uh, or mistakes that they've made uh and of course if they didn't know that these were violations of the torah then it's already considered a lesser sin it's considered a sin that's accidental if you will shogig and their chuba turns that sin from shogig to nothing as if it didn't exist and if it was an intentional sin then they knew it was a sin but they still did it then it, they their tshuva will turn it into uh, intentional to uh uh accidental and if they want to eliminate it altogether then they should uh invest some time and resources to help other people do tshuva which turns their tshuva into the highest level of tshuva which turns all of their sins into mitzvot uh so uh the and, and therefore if they're in the first caliber where their sins they didn't even know there were sins once they do tshuva, those sins disappear, which means that they won't have to answer for them because they won't. in, in, in Shemaim, those, those sins are uprooted as if they never existed. If they're in a second caliber where they knew that those sins were sins, but they and they still did them. And now they did tshuva. So those sins turn into uh, um, uh, accidental sins from, you know, in, intentional sins so uh that, that's uh, they'll have to answer it for, for it but again it's lesser of a consequence or they could uh uh deepen their tshuva by helping other people do tshuva which will turn those sins into mitzvot and again not only uprooting them but actually turning them into mitzvot so that's the uh, way to uh, uh, address those things match have a question may goi make some parts of the Amazon? Uh, how should one think of Hashem after eating important food like bread before uh, conversion uh, if a person is in the process of conversion meaning you are learning Torah for the sake of uh, converting to Judaism you're already starting to live your life like a Jew you have a plan of how to move to Jewish community at some point in the uh, you know foreseeable future then you should start behaving like a jew in that aspect and do the whole blessing now that blessing uh, and the rest of the blessings is not considered a mitzvah for you it's considered practice but you still need to do it because uh, you need to learn how to live like a jew before you actually become a jew but if the person is not jewish and does not intend on becoming jewish anytime soon if ever then they should simply thank Hashem from the bottom of their hearts however they uh they want to thank hashem uh, with their own words and not from a structured prayer but rather from their hearts thank you hashem for giving me the the money to 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 pay for this food thank you hashem for giving me the job that would give me the money thank you for giving me a job that i enjoy for, that, that will give me the money to buy this food Thank you for giving me food that actually uh, I, I enjoy. I enjoy the food itself. It's tasty. Thank you for giving me a wife or a husband that cooked the food for me, or thank you for giving me a really good restaurant that makes really good food, that has honest employees that don't put bugs in the food on purpose just to have a joke on me, and they actually give me food without the bugs. You know, whatever, whatever you, you think Hashem for. The more you think about all the wonderful things that happen in your life, especially if you uh, try to put a little humor into it, but really think about what really happens in the world, where there are many people that, uh, you know, they, they, they get food and they find uh, all types of uh, strange things in that food. Sometimes it's an accident and sometimes it's accidentally on purpose <laughs> that somebody put something in their food. So when you have food that's clean, you have food that's delicious, you have food that uh, was given to you with care, that in itself is something you should thank Hashem for. Uh, and when you have a source of, of income to, to get food, that's something you have a uh, somebody to eat with that's something you should think of you should, so the point is is that there's an endless amount of things that a person uh could uh think of uh to think hashem for when they eat food and uh it's important for them to uh, to think it's it's actually for most people that don't uh uh pray with full kavana. It's uh it's it's really a, a a missed opportunity for them because many times people will do the bicamuzon or all types of prayers but they won't have the right intentions and they miss everything. You know the bicamuzon was not something that uh was written uh out of uh, out of nothing. The bicamuzon was written by the greatest people that ever lived. The Fur the Gmaran says that the first paragraph of bicamuzon was written by Moshe Rabenu the second paragraph of Bikat Amazon was written by Yeshua ben Nun. Uh the third was written by uh um David HaMelech and uh, Shlomo HaMelech. and uh then after that it was Ishak Nissitakdula. So which which included prophets meaning that all of the people that put together these Bikat Amazon were the best of the best and they specifically used words that pertain to Am Israel. That pertain to specific times. That open up specific unique gates for Am Israel in heaven. And uh, and it's important for the Jewish people to do it. And it's also important for the non-Jews to know that this is not for you. When you say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, and you're a Jew, that means something that opens up a certain gate in heaven that connects to your neshama. But when you say Shema Hashem Elokeinu Hashem as a non-Jew that's not even intending to do it as practice to eventually become a Jew, they simply want to act like a Jew. They think the Torah belongs to them. Then guess what? Not only are you not opening up that gate, you're actually opening up a bad gate. What gate? A gate of punishment because you're a thief. You know, And that's, that's what's happening today where you have people identify uh, that Christianity is a lie and they don't want to or can't adopt judaism as their life uh, altogether for different reasons but they want different parts of judaism so they want to put on tefillin even though they're not jewish they want to keep shabbat even though they're not jewish they want to do blessings even though they're not jewish and i always tell them if you want to keep all these things you have to convert and if you're not going to convert don't do it why because it's not bringing you good it's not bringing you good like you think it is it's that good is meant for specific people your good is to serve hashem as he told you this is also the uh the the big thing that we have to learn from this week's parasha is that traditionally speaking if you had let's say a bunch of people give a hundred million dollars in gold and then you have uh out of let's say the goodness of their heart not because they did shuvah but simply they want to donate and then you have a bunch of soldiers give four million dollars of silver which one is more valuable to Hashem? Which one is more valuable? You would think normally. You would think a hundred million dollars is better. No, says Rabbi, uh, uh, Rabbi Chaim Ivaloshin. It's much more critical to, to uh, for the, the four million will be much more critical. Why? Because the four million was an obligation from Hashem. That was the obligation of Machatzit Shekel. It was a specific mitzvah that obligated those people to give that that money. The other part was not an obligation. Hashem said, whoever desires it, whoever their heart makes them want to do it. It wasn't an obligation, meaning if you didn't want to give, you weren't punished for not giving. So the obligation is much more valuable. So a person needs to know that when a Jew does what he's obligated to do, they get rewarded. When a non-Jew does what they're obligated to do, they get rewarded. But when they do what they're not obligated to do, sometimes it could be considered as they're doing even better sometimes it's considered a sin why because it's wrong for them to do it it's wrong for them to do it so i think a living life example i'm going to make up is Hashem, as we speak let's say you have uh, uh, you're a parent okay so you have kids obligated what to give them food so that that obligation is surely appreciated by your spouse surely appreciated by your children surely appreciated by hashem that you're bringing food to your children right if you want to uh, uh um uh to do something more you want to do some more not only will you bring them food but even really good food and maybe even a dessert too and maybe even on really nice dishes and put uh shil torah by rabbi your own in the background you know you're putting the extra that's me that hasidut right on the other hand, someone that says, listen, they're not hungry, but I'll make them a snack anyway. Okay, that's not, that's not bad. That's no problem with that. You're, you have kids. They're not necessarily hungry. You already fed them dinner, but you're going to do something that you're not obligated to do, but it's nice to do. You're giving them a dessert of some kind, right? A snack. Okay, that's great. On the other hand, there's another person. So you know what? I'm going to give them food that's full of poison. Oh, I'm going to give them food that's outdated, that's already expired three years ago. What is that? That's bad. Yeah, but i'm giving them food yeah but it's not food that's catered for them the horse food the cow food the, the the donkey food the turtle food does not it is not food that you give people yeah but it's food no it's not food for them it's the wrong thing same concept here there are specific prayers that people can say and there's no problem people saying it you can read Tehillim, you can read psalms the vast majority of the siddur the jewish prayer book Is Psalms which both Jews and Gentiles are allowed and should read on a regular basis but there are unique prayers that are catered for Am and when a Jew reads it it opens up specific gates in heaven it connects his neshama it's a lot of cool stuff when he doesn't do it it's a very big problem when she doesn't do it it's a very big problem on the other hand when a non-Jew reads prayers that he's allowed to pray he reads Talim he uh, sp- speaks to Hashem out of his own heart that opens up certain gates and connects him or heart to Hashem in a fantastic way why because they're doing what they should do what they're obligated to do what's great to do on the other hand when they do things that they're not allowed to do like saying specific prayers or doing specific mitzvot that are only for the Jews not only are they not opening the good gates But they're instead opening bad gates, gates that will bring them consequence, punishment, disaster, tragedy, all of the horrible things. Why? Because it's not a mitzvah for them. It's a sin. It's a sin. Yeah, but how come it's a mitzvah for him? Because it's for him. It's just like the horse food is good for the horse, but not for the human. Yeah, but it's food. Yeah, it's food for a horse. Same concept here. And a person needs to understand if you do what God said, you win. If you do what you think you should do because you feel it, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But when you lose, usually you lose much more than what you gain. And when a person is, uh, you know, is, is desiring to do the will of Hashem, then it shouldn't really be such a dilemma to accept the fact that you're not allowed to keep Shabbat or that you're not allowed to uh, do other things. It shouldn't be a problem why because if you're really serving Hashem here then serve Hashem like he wants you to serve him I'll tell you a thing that's difficult for people to hear but this is good for people to know there is a uh, a critical critical importance that people know where they stand because there are different organizations that again like I've said earlier that are money driven that are popularity driven that do all types of things that are against the Torah in order to pacify people especially people that are ignorant and 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 simply are naive about certain things and believe and they want to believe and i don't blame them for believing and they preach these people uh listen you're gentiles but you should have a siddhu you're gentiles but you should uh keep shabbat you're gentiles you should keep the torah through uh, the same way that the jews do and all types of things like this this is against the torah this is not for the torah it's not going to give any of those people blessings They're not going to get rewarded for it. They're all going to get punished for it. And and, and I know that they're being taught this by people that call themselves rabbis. I know, but it's not allowed. There is an obligation for the Jew. There's an obligation for the Gentile. If the Gentile is in a process of converting, then yes, fulfill the entire Torah, learn everything. And on the way to, to conversion, you have to. It's not a mitzvah for you. It's practice, but it's necessary practice. On the other hand, if a person is simply just adopting whatever meets what he likes or she likes and uh and, and and uh figuring that this is good for me too you are creating a new religion and it's a very very big problem so a person needs to know that there are certain things that make sense and there are certain things that don't make sense but as we said before Hashem doesn't think like us and this is not a new thing this is not a new thing one thing that people think is not such a big deal is they see that there's a lot of Christians and a lot of uh, uh, non-Jews that are wearing tzitzit and talit, and they think, oh, look, they're wearing tzitzit and talit. Now, usually they buy this from non-Jewish people, and uh, these things are made by by uh, machines, and they don't really have the real legitimate status of of a tzitzit or a talit. But if a Jew sells you a talit, he is violating an alacha. He is violating an alacha. He's not following the Torah. Why? It is forbidden for a Jew to sell a talit to a non Jew. And it's P'sak alacha in the Shulchan Aruch, that's also in the Yosef, and across the board. A Jew is not allowed to sell a non Jew a talit. Why? lest he pretend to be a jew and kill you or kill somebody else or pretend to be a jew and marry somebody uh the point is is that all of these things your average person what i'm not killing anybody i just want to serve hashem why can't i buy it to because not because you're bad it's not a personal attack at you it's a law because the general risk is too great to bear and therefore forbidden and we cannot change the general law the law because of specific cases if you want to wear a Talit, you have to be jewish simple that's it we're not asking you to do to wear a talit. you're the one that wants to wear a Talit. so okay so be a jew oh i'll buy it anyway okay you can buy it anyway and you're gonna get punished for it anyway no, I'm not going to get punished. Oh, so now you're deciding the, the law yourself. Why, you're calling the Gemara, the sages of the Gemara liars? You're calling the Shukana Aruch liars? You're calling the Yakut yourself liars? You're calling the Rambam liars? So why do you even follow the Torah then? And that's the most bizarre thing in the world, is that there are people that they decide to adopt laws of the Torah, all types of specific laws that are specific to Am Yisrael, despite the sages saying it's forbidden for them to do and I just don't understand it if you're adopting the laws then why don't you adopt the law that says that you're also not allowed to do these things like why become Jewish if you hate the Jewish people and this is actually what makes a lot of people in, in you know turn in sometimes into anti-semitics so again if it's really about serving God focus on what's good for you to uh, to do meaning that is what you're supposed to do, what you're obligated to do. If you can do more because you can become a Jew, then do more. But if you can't, then focus on perfecting what you are supposed to do. I understand that at times it's a uh, it's appealing to have a system, to have a, a, a prayer system, to have all types of garments, to have a holidays. And I understand, I understand it, and I and I and I. I, I I feel, I feel for the non-Jews that want these things, that want a holiday, that want the garments, that want the Jewish attire, but simply can't become Jews because they live in the middle of some country that has no Judaism or they can't afford it or whatever it is. I understand, but I promise you, Akadosh Kadosh did not give you a test for no reason. He did not give you this test for no reason. If you do the will of Hashem, like Hashem said, not like you're deciding, He said, but when I say like Hashem said, that means that you're listening to his messengers, not becoming a messenger out of your own mind. If you listen to Hashem, you listen to his, the, the, the holy Jewish sages, there is no doubt in my mind, you will win. You will have gates opened for you in this world and the next that you didn't even realize exist. But if you decide to do something else, like a lot of people are doing, which is in essence creating another religion, they Left idolatry of, uh, of of Christianity, they haven't adopted Judaism, they're somewhere in the middle, they don't want to be Noahides and they even make fun of Noahides, and they figured they're gonna be like a Noha Jew or a Pikachu or a Saka like something, Sasaju. They're, they're something, they don't even know what they are, they are a Gentile Jew. This is stealing, this is forbidden this is not good for you you want to do it everybody has a freedom to do whatever they want but do not say you aren't warned because again if a person is really looking to follow the Torah they need to realize that we cannot understand a single verse in the Torah if it's not for the Jewish sages the very same sages that say that it's forbidden to do such and such things by uh, non-Jews and forbidden to do such and such things by Jews. And it's allowed to do such and such things by non-Jews and allowed to do such and such things by uh, uh, Jews. And so on and so forth. Those very same sages, you can't just listen to them whenever you feel like it. And if you're going to learn, learn from the right people and, 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 and adopt the law as it is. I promise you, if uh, these, these, uh, these uh, Pikachu, uh, Gentile Jew, uh uh, such a jew and maybe jew and Santa jew all this all these different types of uh make believe things that people are making them up if they had any value guess what they would have already been here for the last few thousand years what do you think that uh the sages weren't around uh righteous gentiles there were around many of them many of them existed in the world and uh they uh, some of them converted and some of them stayed righteous gentiles you never saw this in history of people doing this thing that they're doing in this generation where they've left one bad thing and they created something even worse so follow torah follow as it's supposed to and i promise you you'll succeed when it comes to prayer the prayer the best prayer for the gentiles a prayer that comes from their heart when they really delve into what they are appreciating and quite frankly there are uh, uh a lot of jews myself included that need to spend more time praying out of our hearts as well as what we're obligated to do we're obligated to do because of the amazon and the prayers and everything else but we should all always spend some more time praying out of our hearts with uh you know when we look at the things that we're benefiting from uh we're almost done let's see good question by the way uh show is asking is it good to do the skulot people send around and saying certain teilim on certain days, or is it always better to study uh, instead? Studying Torah is more important than anything else. The Gma, that's with the Rambam paskins There's no mitzvah, there's no skulah, there's nothing that's superior to studying Torah. So, uh, reading teilim is great, uh, uh, praying is great, everything is great, but studying Torah is superior to everything else. Uh, Joshua uh, how come when we say someone's name when they're sick we refer to the uh, mother but when someone passes away we refer to the father very good question Uh, the reason why is a uh, if a person is a uh, sick that means that they're alive and uh, if they're uh, if they're alive uh, then uh, you you want them to you want the blessing to be that they're getting from shamayim to have the least amount of interference as possible and since the average man out there has wasted seed at some point in their life uh when you say uh you know uh joe son of uh let's say i don't know sarah you know that 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 wasting seed that his father did doesn't get in the way of a blessing for him uh but when you say you know joe son of sam uh, and sam wasted seed that wasting seed that his father did uh could actually get in the way of him getting a blessing so that's why you don't say it while they're alive uh and sick but when somebody passes uh away you want to uh um, Uh, connect them to their uh, root of their uh, uh, of their where they belong as far as Klal Israel, and that's uh, this determined uh, their tribe is determined by the father Uh, and the issue of wasting seed by the father is no longer relevant because it can't harm them or help them anymore since they've already passed away Yeah, you'd be surprised how many uh, uh, mitzvot and sgulot and teachings uh, connect to the issue of uh, morality, and specifically wasting seed. Uh, I mean, uh, the same Gemara that we talked about today, Masechet Yoma, talks about the Kohen Gadol's preparation for the uh, Yom Kippur required him to uh, uh, leave his wife for a certain amount of time uh so uh and live by himself in the betta uh also to have a replacement uh kohen gadol available in case he had carried that night in case seed came out of him the night of uh, yom kippur uh he would also uh be forbidden from uh, going to sleep uh that uh, that night so he doesn't have such a dream uh so they would actually all come to him and uh have him uh, speak and uh, stand in the uh, without socks on in the cold floor. And uh, you know, it's a whole process just so he doesn't waste seed. And we're not talking about intentional. We're talking about unintentional. He wouldn't be allowed to eat certain foods. Uh, so there's a huge amount of uh, connection to it that, that that's, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, morality and, and, and whether it be intentional or unintentional, uh, and that also includes a lot of things that people do and don't realize it. And that's what, one of the things that baffles my mind is when uh, wicked people start saying, why are they so obsessed about talking about wasting seed? I don't know. It's pretty much in every Masechet in the, in a, in the Shas. It's in practically every Parashah in the Torah. It's, uh, it's, it's everywhere. Because what makes Am Yisrael holy is the way they treat their uh, sensuality, the way they treat their morality. Uh, that's what makes am israel moral uh uh uh, you know that more moral than others it's not the way because of the way we conduct business or because of the riq or because of anything else what makes am israel a holy nation is is the issues of morality which lead to the other things but when we do not have morality the other things fail as well when we do have morality when we do uh protect ourselves and uh we're careful with our eyes and how we behave uh, and, and, and we, we use the, the, uh, our uh, uh, past uh, mistakes as uh, ways to connect to Hashem and to uh, uh, as, as things that we're going to completely abandon and encourage others to abandon as well. These are the things that make Ami Yisrael a very special nation. And that's why when you hear anybody out there that calls themselves a teacher, that speaks against these types of teachings you should run away from them you should run away from them i've said different reasons for that over the uh, years and anyone that wants to know those reasons can simply watch the lectures we have on the playlist but the point being is is that the uh, even something as simple as why we call somebody uh based on their mother versus their father and vice versa uh has to do with that and this is not just a time this is just a this is the explanation this is the explanation uh, next, um, in your Arab Mashiach series, you said that Moshe and the Levi tribe were 10 Amot tall, according to some sources. Those sources are Gemara. It's not uh, some sources. It's Gemara. Uh, all the Levi tribe. Uh, why doesn't the, uh, that reflect at all today? We're all 3,300 years uh, since then, so it doesn't seem like a lot of time uh, to devolve like that well I mean the 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 world itself has had major changes uh since creation uh first and foremost the Adam uh, was enormous enormous meaning he reached the sky and uh they said that uh it, it was so big the the sun felt like it was on his shoulder uh and he would just uh you know uh do like a like that with the mouth like a little blow i think to move the clouds to cover the sun he was enormous in size uh and he was also the most beautiful human being uh, that ever existed uh and the uh, uh, the reason why for example we look at our nails against the uh, fire on the uh Shabbat is because his body his whole body was made up of like nails was shining like nails were like nails And that uh, looking at the nails on Avdallah is a reminder of what we were before we sinned. And uh, the tikkun of the woman is uh, partly because she's uh, enticed Adam Rishon to sin. And it's because of her that, you know, he uh, stopped looking like that, that he got uh, smaller, both in physical size as well as spiritual size. And he actually brought all of the worlds. uh, Yes, worlds. There's more than one world all of the worlds including this one to a lesser uh degree and uh but still there was uh uh, other giants in the world there were anakim there was a um people that were uh uh uh, named in the Torah as giants we're not talking about 10 amot we're talking about you know mountains or more huge huge enormous people that were called that in the Torah they're named in the Torah because of their size because of uh how they behaved according to their size and so on but it wasn't that everybody was big there were certain small people uh and there were uh uh you know a uh a bigger people uh you know the uh the the smaller people would talk to the bigger people the bigger people would talk to the smaller people There were uh anak was a uh, a person that the smaller person uh, would uh, would scream out to him, hey, can you tell me what you see, you know, 20, 30 miles away? Uh, because he's so big. Uh, and they would ask him to do that. So these bigger people, Og, Sihon, uh, and and several other people, were enormous people. So that existed. Uh, furthermore, the, uh, the Levite tribe, as you said, were Ten Amot, which is approximately uh 15 to 20 feet tall they had to be that way it's not a it's not some opinions it is the opinion that Moshe Rabbeinu was 10 amot and all of the Levite tribes wore 10 amot there is no other option and the reason why is because in order for them to lift the uh the uh the mishkan the uh because of the measurements of the mishkan in order for it not to hit the ground they had to be that tall if they were a foot shorter it would hit the floor and of course that would uh create death penalties like nobody's business so they had to be that tall it's not like a uh, oh a, you know it's uh some people think no this is it this is it i know it's hard for people to accept because they're used to the biggest thing they see is maybe seven feet tall basketball player or something but again people were big but there was a reason for their size and they're only big in comparison to us because we're comparing them to us now why don't really big people exist like that today well simple there's no need for it and the same concept goes with specific animals there's an animal called the tahash that's mentioned in the torah several times the tachash was not created rashi says the tahash was not created at maseh bereshit it was not created in the beginning of the world it was actually created at Mount Sinai meaning this was a exceptional animal created at an exceptional time why because it was needed at that time and as soon as it was as it was no longer needed it, it was extinct and Tachas was a beautiful animal had a rainbow skin was something out of this world you know putting uh uh you know simply something that uh is un- unbelievable put it that way but it was extinct not because it was hunted not because it didn't eat right not because there was a plague not because of any other reason other than the fact that the boss hashem no longer needed it in the world and the same goes with other animals and the same thing goes with other physical abilities you'll see in the gemara there are certain sages that talk about how there was a uh, sage that uh, uh when there was a fire in his house he grabbed two people, put them under his arms, and started running out of the house with them. Do you know anybody in the world that can grab two grown men and run with them? We're not talking about running with them hand in hand like little kids, yay, no. We're talking about holding them like a sack of potatoes under his arms and running with them to save their life. You know anybody in the world that can do that, especially an old man? No, but there are people that were strong like that just 1,500 years ago. They, uh, If you read the... Um, about uh, bar koziba bar koziba was a uh, not just an exceptional uh superhuman strength but he had an army full of people like him that in order for a person to enlist in bar koziba which is also called bar kochba uh, and to order for, for a person to enlist into a special uh, uh force army force jewish army force you had to be able to uproot a full-grown tree with your bare hands while riding a horse can anybody uproot a uh, uh, you know a tiny little uh, flower uh, you know while riding anything barely if they're standing on it can they do it even if you're talking about really really big people so these strengths existed these strengths existed they uh, they were needed at the time for different purposes for that Hashem had. The, if you read the Me'am Loez and a section where it talks about the wars of the sons of Yaakov, you see that each one of the tribes, uh, Yuda, uh, Naphtali, uh, Issachar, Zvulun, Shimon, uh, Levi, they're all superhuman according if you compare them to us they had superhuman strength abilities very very uh, much like the what they call superheroes today in hollywood which is actually those powers came from the shvatim so those existed a few thousand years ago but also even more recent you know you had people that had extraordinary strength and abilities not very long ago and the second that hashem no longer needed it in his world it ceased to exist when he needs it again to be in the world meaning he desires for it to be in the world because there's going to be a benefit to it will come back when is that going to be mashiach mashiach is going to have superhuman strength far beyond any other human that ever existed before because he will have a uh, a, a need to do such things i mean moshe rabin also had superhuman strength that's beyond uh, what our comprehension is I mean uh, also you should know that there were some people that were able to fly like Moshe Rabbeinu was able to fly Pinchas was able to fly different Tzadikim were able to fly 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 like super you know Superman these are not analogies parables uh, mythical this is reality now a person can choose to make fun of the reality not believe the reality uh, they could do whatever they want but these are things that existed and they existed because Hashem wanted those things to exist because there was a need for it in the world for such a person to exist for Hashem to exemplify His glory, His his strength. He left Og in the world to be able to procreate even and bring more giants into the world despite Og living at the time of Noach. But He allowed Og to live and some say even Sichon too. Uh, both uh, uh, alive at the time of uh, Noah and both survived uh, you know the uh, the flood why because Hashem wanted people to see how big people were before the flood and he destroyed all of them and Og and Sichon were the smallest of all the giants yet they were enormous enormous so there was a need for it if you will in the world of Hashem in the world of Hashem there was a need for it there was a need for I, uh, uh, you know Moshe Rabbeinu to have superhuman strength at uh, at times to be able to not only beat 10 Amot but the Gemara says that his staff was 10 Amot was also the same height as him and the Me'am uh, Loez brings uh, some sources that say that because of the stone that the staff was made uh, it's a uh, the, uh, um, the the weight of such a size stone that it was it couldn't have been less than 674 pounds his staff 674 pounds he would walk with it and pick it up like a toothpick pick it up like a toothpick and he was able to jump in the air ten amot meaning he jumped his own height he was able to fly to at different times but he was able to jump his own height you know anybody that could jump their own height even the biggest best basketball player in the world cannot jump their own height they can jump high, they can jump far, but they can't jump their own height. So these things existed. These things existed, and they even existed at exceptional times not that long ago. There was a, uh, Rav, uh, Rav, um, Mas'ud Al Fasi. Rav Mas'ud Al Fasi, uh, this is maybe, uh, 100 years ago, uh, 150 years ago, something like that. Moroccan Rav that, uh, was traveling from uh, morocco to israel and uh, was with a group of people i think i told you guys this story and long story short the uh the group left him behind because he was observant of shabbat and uh he ended up uh riding a lion riding a lion to uh you know uh, on his back like a horse you know uh, why not because he was uh, trained the lion but because it's kedusha made the lion his servant so, these things existed. And believe it or not, some things still exist. Not, you know, t- uh, 10 feet, 20 feet tall uh, people uh, that I know of at least, but there are certain things that exist that your average person would consider superhuman. Uh, is, you know, a person can say something and certain things could happen. A person can touch something and certain things could happen uh you know it's a uh the world is uh let, let's just put it this way uh the uh um th- there's much more than uh than, than 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 it seems there's much more that uh than it seems in this uh, in this world so uh, if you want to see all, all of the truth all of the beauty look into the torah and you'll find it uh nathan is asking can no hide watch and share jewish ashkafa or is it uh, classed as delving into torah learning uh jewish laws as the geta gra series uh is, no so uh the uh, jewish hashkafa uh is really uh uh ashkafa for everybody but it's obligatory uh for for the jews to perfect themselves even more than the non jew but nonetheless it's, uh, it's an uh, ideology, ideology that all people should have, both Jews and Gentiles. It's under the uh, auspices of Musar, and so are 99.9% of all of my lectures, and I would say 90% of all of the lectures of Rabbi uh, Ephraim are uh, under the auspices of Musar, and uh i would say also in the uh, same caliber of uh, rav yosef mizrahi uh and uh you know and um vigdo miller and Rav uh again the, generally speaking the, we all speak musar Ashkafa, everything is under the auspices which is really fit for everybody now yes of course at times within that musar video that everybody's allowed to uh watch there is a discussion of a specific law and a person needs to be clever enough to know that okay this law is not for me you continue listening to it uh because you didn't come to watch or, or, or read this particular book for the sake of this law you came for the general topic for everything else and then therefore there's no problem the problem is when a person that's not jewish and not intending on being Jewish is listening to a alacha shiur meaning that the shiur itself is specifically telling you this shiur is about the jewish law that you know that's such and such so anyone that's learning that is a problem same thing goes with uh learning daf yomi uh, which is specifically only gemara that's not uh, for non-jews either again unless those non-jews are planning on converting if they're planning on converting, they can listen, watch everything that they want as long as it's kosher. But if not, then they need to focus on learning th- things that are about the weekly Torah portion, the weekly parasha, and ashkafa, musar, these are all the same things in essence, uh, things that have to do with behavior, with uh with ideology, uh, and such. And if uh within it, uh the uh, uh either the weekly parashah or the um, uh musar there is a discussion of a unique law pertaining to the jewish people then simply just uh know that this is uh uh, although interesting although uh uh fantastic it's not for you and that's it listen to the rest of the show. no problem there's no problem uh almost done uh my friend has asked this question i believe it's related to the horrible heresies we hear from manis and others Okay, Uh, how can the very gruesome physical punishment we read about in descriptions of Gainom, like getting burned on fire, having limbs uh, torn off, be executed on a neshama that does not have a body? Uh, Okay, so the uh, important thing to know is that the neshama looks just like the body. The neshama looks just like the body. And the only reason why we think the neshama feels uh, less than the body is because we watched too many Hollywood films that make the neshama, make the so-called soul that's put, that's portrayed by Hollywood, like something like uh, some uh, some spirit that's like a wind that's like a uh, something that is uh, you know I don't know some uh, some gas or something. It, we, we make it it looks like it's something that doesn't feel anything it could just fly that's because people watch too much hollywood films the real neshama is the exact opposite of what manis and yy jacobson and the rest of the heretics out there say with the Gmarama masechet brachot says that the neshama feels much more than the body much more to the than the body so much so that the fire in gehenna is the lowest level of fire in gehenna is 60 times more powerful and painful than the highest fire in this world so imagine lava in this world is the highest fire that i know of or blue fire let's say okay that's the highest fire in this world that highest fire in this world is the is not even the lowest fire in gehenna the lowest fire in Ghanim is 60 times that. And that's the lowest fire. And the next level of fire is 60 times more. And the Neshama feels a lot more, a lot more than the body. Something that is incomprehensible to a human being because they, again, uh, the more impure a person's mind is, full of heresy, philosophy that's full of heresy and garbage, the more impossible it is for them to understand it if you see a speaker quote just as many secular people non-jews as they do torah or simply only secular people and not torah that means that person is full of toma in their head don't listen to anything they say don't listen to anything they say why because if you want purity you have to get it from a pure source and the problem with these people is that they're thinking that the neshama doesn't feel because they watched movies, and they think that. But if you read Gemara, you realize that the neshama feels a lot more. And in fact, the body, the body is something that limits the feeling of, of the neshama, limits it. And the when a person really studies the subject of the neshama of what happens after life, they realize that in fact there are certain things. That a person could have in this world and not in the next world, or have in the next world and not in this world, such as missing limbs. A person can have sin, uh, 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 a life that where he is making a uh, mistake. He had an accident. He lost his arm. Right? but it happens. But is neshama still has an arm. Still has an arm. But he can have sins, and a mevinyavin. He can have sins that those sins don't hurt his arm. But his spiritual arm, his neshama's arm is gone. So he goes up to Shemaiv, he has no arm. No arm. And sometimes multiple arms. Sometimes legs too. And sometimes the only thing he has is a little eyeballs. And it's painful. Very painful. So these fools are not only ignorant... They're not only ignorant of, of, of the Kabbalistic and the supernatural and the mystical, and, 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 and they're, they're ignorant of the basics. The first Gemara that I tell every single one of my students to learn is Masechet Brachot. First Gemara. And that's generally universally accepted as the first Gemara somebody should learn. If Manus or YY ever learned Tracted Gemarot, and actually understood the basic language of what it says there they would no longer speak like they do because everything that I say is in there everything but they don't know anything they're ignoramuses they read newspapers and websites and they speak stupidity to people so if a person studies further they'll realize that the neshama is much more sensitive is much more uh, uh uh a uh significant than a person thinks it's not some wind it's not a wind it's not uh some little uh ghost like people think it's much more significant that most, most most importantly than the neshama in, in the open worlds there's a time for you to eat there's a time for you to go to places uh there is a uh, uh um Batya Bat Paro is uh, the only one that's allowed, aside from Tzipora, to go visit Moshe Rabenu, and there's a time for Avram to go see Sarah, and a time for Rivka to see Tzach. Meaning the Avot Vimaot, they have their own chambers and places, but there's a time for them to be together uh, to see. Each- it's a, it's a, it's a, people think what Olam is is something that they like watched in a movie. There's some ghost. That looks like, I don't know, like uh, like some cartoon with maybe like a, a bed sheet on him with the, with little holes there. And he's he like, ooh, ooh, I am a manis." I don't know what people think. This has nothing to do with Torah. The real neshama, the real you is much more real than the current you. The current you is inconsequential into, in comparison to the real you. What happened with the arrogant fools is that they've made the current them, the flesh body, the piece of steak, the piece of schnitzel, the shish kebab that makes up their body, they've turned that into the real them. They've turned that into the real them and the neshama into the lesser. It's the exact opposite. The neshama is the real you and this is something that is withholding the real you withholding the feelings withholding the understanding withholding the, the everything so the same day that akadosh who created a special neshama part of it coming from him if you will part of it is in essence the you combining the two the same day that he created this special thing he also created a special fire to burn it and multiple fires says the gemara seven different types of fires exist each fire has its own abilities that the other does it some fire eats and doesn't drink some fire drinks and doesn't eat some fire eats and drink is all types of fires What do you, do you see those fires in the streets you see them in weapons no these fires don't exist in this world These are fires of the upper world that have specific things that came to the world at specific times, at the fire of Eliyahu Anavi, that consumed both the korban, the rock, and the water. Regular fire can't do such a thing. But the fire from Shemaim came and consumed all of it, says the Gemara, that from there we learn that there are multiple types of fires, there are multiple colors. Those fires have abilities that... Hashem, may you never know what abilities they have. But I could assure you that unless Y.Y. Jacobson and Manus Friedman and every single one of their students does a tshuva, no less than uh, than Menashe, from the Tanakh, the son of Chizkiyahu, uh, they will see every one of those fires. And they will see them in such a horrible way that I I'm, I'm telling you, it will bring nobody joy. But it's unfortunately the damage that they're causing with their heresy is, makes it impossible, impossible for anything else that's positive to happen to them. Why? Because they are giving the people that are weak a justification to stay weak. They're taking away the whole concept of punishment and simply making Judaism turn from an obligatory commandment from the God of all gods, from the King of all kings, the one and only creator, the one and only God of the world where everything else is idolatry. They've turned His law, that's an obligation on all of mankind, into a suggestion. They've Literally created a new religion. And it's not coincidental that there was an article in Eretz Israel written about in a favorable way, unfortunately, about Manus Friedman and his new book in Hebrew, but they called the article a new religion. In shamayim they are starting, they started already a new religion. And I promise you the damage that they're causing, they're making people simply not fear Hashem. Choose what they want to keep, what they don't want to keep, and they're destroying people's eternity. And therefore, their punishment will be bigger than everybody else's. If, if, and you know what? I'll tell you something. I, eventually, I plan on doing a whole video about this. But I'll tell you this. Initially, I didn't want to talk about Y.Y. Jacobson because he made one mistake. I contacted him. He kind of sort of fixed it. We had a dialogue. A few people sent me a few of his videos at times. I didn't like it so much, but I figured I'm focused already enough on the other guy and a bunch of other people. I don't need to get involved in this one either. But now with the stuff I see, it's getting worse. Y.Y. doesn't have the same excuses as Menace. And you know why? Because first of all, YY Jacobson seems like uh, he's portrayed as a yeshivas person. Second of all, he portrays himself as a yeshivas person. Third of all, the entire Kuntres Genom that we have, the entire Kuntres Genom, this was all inspired because of the conversations we had with YY Jacobson. The dialogue that I had with them, back and forth emails, was due to the conversations we had with yy jacobson meaning we sent them all of this years ago he knows all of this based on Hasidut years ago but as soon as he got all of this he stopped answering which means that now that he's talking even more heretical things today than he did several years ago when we communicated with them means that this guy is a uh, is looking he's looking for attention and as much as I don't want to give it to them uh we have to warn people so again learn basics or in the gemara and the rest of the uh, torah and you will see that nobody in the history of mankind that's part of cladi yisrael not from the world of hasidut not from the world of the litaim the sfaradim the uh whoever agrees with the stupidity that they say no one agrees with them they are creating their own new religion and therefore they're going to be punished for it no different than idolaters are. And uh anyone that watched the show we did about Gay knows that the punishment for idolaters is the worst of all kinds. Besad I appreciate you learning with me. I hope that uh this too is an inspiration for the rest of us to help people. Do chuva, to stay away from bad things, to understand that if we don't understand it and it's in the torah that means we haven't read it enough we have to learn more we have to do more and it's not because uh it's there's a mistake if the sages said it it's true if a uh if Baruch Hu mentioned it it's necessary and uh if somebody is saying things that contradict it then you have to double check double check if somebody in the world agrees with this somebody if somebody agrees with that somebody we'll continue learning, we'll continue doing, we'll continue giving in order to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu with all of what we do. And this too will bring sanctification to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name. Amen l'olam. amen.
1: Ahashverosh, the Persian king, made a feast filled with bling. For his third year of reign he did celebrate. The Jews came happily, they didn't even deliberate. The feast was simply a ball. Food and drink filled every hall. Hashem was angered by the reckless behavior. Haman's evil decree was punishment, so our evil actions would waver. Ahashverosh had a ton to drink. Queen Vashti he wished to bring. But this was not her wish, and the king she did scorn. After all, she grew a tail and a horn. The blood of Ahasuerus came to a boil. That's when the advisers came to toil, to decide what should be done with the queen who refused to come. The evil Haman behold, his plan he so expertly did mold to kill the queen he desired. This plan Ahasuerus admired. Higher and higher Haman rose. A new law was proposed. All must bow to Haman on high, but Mordechai HaTzadik did not comply. King Ahasuerus began his quest to find a queen who would be the best. Esther, Mordechai's niece, was taken and adorned with fleece. Haman's hatred for Mordechai did swell. All the Jews he wished to dispel. So Haman convinced the king to sign the wicked decree with his signet ring. The cries of the Jews filled the city. Our situation was truly a pity. Mordechai prayed and Esther dreaded for approaching the king could land her beheaded. King Ahasuerus sat in his yard. With beauty and grace he did regard his queen Esther at last. For her his scepter he did cast. To her own special feast Esther did invite the king and Haman who was filled with delight. Yet when Mordechai refused to bow This Haman did not allow. King Achashverosh made a request for Haman to give his best advice on how to reward a favor. But this honor Haman wrongly did savor. Since Haman believed the gift was for him, he conveyed his advice with a giant grin. You shall dress him in the king's royal robes. With the crown shall he parade the roads. Ahashverosh commanded without delay, Haman shall create this grand display. For Mordechai who was the one deserving, it was him who Haman would be serving. A second invitation Esther did extend for Ahasuerus to attend. The queen begged at the feast that the decree against Ternation be creased. At once the king did rule to hang Haman the fool. Poof! went Haman's vicious decree, of the Jews' victory Hashem did guarantee. Mordechai strode through town, looking so refined. Atop his head, the king's crown did shine. This was not his only reward to reap, for Haman's house was his to keep. Haman's ten sons we did hang. Our enemies were defeated with a big bang. That is why, to this day, we celebrate Purim in a special way. Mishlamachmanot we give to a friend, a special Mishta we make sure to attend, and matano Yo Nim to the poor we send. We dress up as a queen, king, or sword in order for Vinahathu to be restored.